Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Man, we're back and we got a ton, a ton of pods in the pipeline for you. Um, I want to give you a couple thoughts on the KD thing, on the Kyrie thing, I guess on the DeAndre Ayton thing, right? The DeAndre Ayton thing is the newest thing where, wait, so Phoenix didn't want DeAndre Ayton and then they, they match a deal with the Indiana Pacers and it, the whole thing is bizarre, right? The whole thing is bizarre, especially the way their season ended last year. Maybe they've convinced themselves they can win with a traditional, more traditional NBA center. And Chris Paul was the problem. I, I don't know. But um, you play this game of chicken. Most people thought that he was potentially a sign and trade trade bait. And he ends up getting a gigantic deal that you match. And now you can't trade him until January. Wow, that just does not feel like the Suns as well-run an organization as they have been since they basically hired Monty Williams, right? That's That was part of the turn in this organization. You go back to the bubble, they're the hottest team in the bubble. That one does not, one, means they're out of K, the KD sweepstakes. And two, that's a really hard, like, cap to put back on, you know? I mean, the, the genie is out of the bottle based upon how it ended and many of the alleged feelings on that team about DeAndre Ayton or like in the organization about DeAndre Ayton. So I, I'm not saying Ayton stings. I, I, I don't believe that you're going to be able to win big with him because of his lack of versatility. That's what the league is all about, but I could be wrong and maybe they know more, but if you don't love a guy and you end up beholden to him and signing him, it's, it's one thing. If you're not a well-run organization, you're not competing for a championship. They are. Or maybe you need him in the in the West because you have Jokic at the five, right? And you feel like, hey, 
we're not just going to have to go through Jokic. We'll have to go through Wiseman coming back. We'll have to go through some traditional bigs. But I don't know. Um, I guess, you know, Minnesota's got two bigs. Everybody's loading up with big guys, even though the team that didn't have big guys just won another championship, right? All right, I'll give you some thoughts on KD as well. You have to you have to offer the moon, the stars, and the sun if you want him. And everybody's playing this game of chicken and seem to be drawing a line that said, hey, we're not going to offer everything for Kevin Durant. But look, the going rate is what Rudy Gobert got plus some. The going rate is whatever the Knicks have to give up to get Donovan Mitchell. The going rate is going to be astronomical. The question is, really, where where does he end up since it's not going to be Phoenix? I think I still think Miami fits. I feel like he's part of that sort of, you want to call it heat culture that they call it? Yeah. He loves the hoop. He loves the ball. That's the one that fits. I just don't know if they have the assets, and the assets they do have are the ones that he wants to play with. I thought, thought you needed a special treat for all ball. This, this, this is really good. Really, really good. Andy Phillips joins me. Okay. Andy was an undrafted free agent at a cup of coffee in the preseason with the Green Bay Packers. But this podcast many times is about the journey. Here's his. You grew up where? Lansing, Michigan. Born and raised. So, so for most people who are not Michi- Michiganians, Michiganians. Michiganders. Michiganders? That, that's the Michigan. uh, unofficial word. Okay. So is there a legit difference between Lansing and East Lansing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Doug. Yeah. So it, there is an actual difference. It's not just directional. It is. There are two different cities and Lansing is the capital. East Lansing is a stone throw away. But there's absolutely a difference. So I, I wouldn't say I grew up in Spartan country, but my front door was 10 minutes from the Breslin. Okay, so were you a hooper and a football player growing up or just a football player? I did everything. I, I did basketball, football, baseball kid growing up. I uh, got to high school and my love was football. So I subbed out uh, baseball for track for three of the four years. And uh, I love all sports. But, yeah, I'm a huge, huge basketball fan, huge football fan. But when you're uh, 6'2 even and uh, a stockier build, uh, you kind of go more the football route than the basketball once you get rolling. Were you always a center? No, no. So, you know, what's funny is I actually, in, in high school, I played, my main position was linebacker. I was I was this height since eighth grade. And, uh, you know, by my senior year, I was about 240, 250, and I was playing inside linebacker and fullback, running back, really. Went to Central Michigan University as my only offer uh, as a defensive end. You're and skipping. Then, you're, you're skipping. Don't Don't skip. I don't won't skip, skip then. So no. So don't, no. Don't no. skip. Okay. So skip. you're you're playing inside linebacker. That's right. Four year starter at varsity. You play a fullbacker, yep. you're running running started just pummeling dudes. That's it. What but what's they, they actually are it's the only offensive position I feel like that's like defense. Right? Because yeah. as much as 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 pat run blocking, I think a little bit to it, but you got to pass block. Um and obviously footwork, but in terms of just being able to take dudes out, right? Like, no. like football's uh, here's my thing with football. Lots of guys will say, Oh, well, LeBron James wouldn't have been a good football player. He didn't want to get hit. Nobody, lots of guys don't want to get hit. Now, do they want to hit somebody? It's this different. No one says like, Hey, I can't wait to get ear hold, man. That sounds like a good idea. I can't right. wait to get here. But, yeah. but fullback sounds, especially for six two two forty in high school, 
that sounds like a hell of a good time. And listen, you're exactly right. Cause linebacker and fullback are the same thing. You have the same objective. You're filling a gap and trying to put your screws on somebody's chest and see who wins. But you're right. Ray Lewis did not like to be hit. He liked to do the hitting. And when you're in high school, to me, that really separates uh, kids because a third of the team is out there because their parents are making them. The other third is out there because they think they love football. And then there's the third that actually do love football and want to go out there. And listen, from the offensive line standpoint, there's a saying, there's no greater feeling than moving a person against their will from point A to point B. Well, you can do the same thing when you're playing inside backer too, because you can fill a hole and tattoo a running back and drive him either into the ground a few feet or back that way. Either way is the best feeling on the planet. Why, why were you lightly recruited? I think there's a bunch of different reasons. This was before huddle. I mean, once huddle came about and college coaches could get any film they wanted on any kid in the country like that, it helped. I was in the era. I graduated 2010. That was still mainly in the, you got to go to your summer camps and you got to send out your tapes. Well, first off, I was a four-year starter on the varsity school, good basketball program, good track program. I was five and 31 at football. So we had a really poor football program that time, especially hard to get recruited um, at that point. And also I think I was playing out of position. I mean, I was right. six two two forty, and no one saw my hand in the dirt. And I think that would have probably helped my case a little more. Um, you know, I was getting recruited by Michigan state since my freshman year, they're inviting me to games and all that good stuff. But end of the day, I think six, two wasn't six, four, 240, 250 playing linebacker wasn't like seeing somebody with their hand in the dirt to maybe see that creativity of can this guy play something else? Can this defensive end, can we bump him into a three tag? Can we, can this even a tight end, can we bump him down into the, the interior offensive line? I think the combination of not getting great notoriety via playing on a poor team and then probably playing a little bit out of position didn't help my recruiting case. But, you know, end of the day, Got my one offer, and that's all I needed. So who, who recruited you at, at, at Western? Central Michigan. Was, was, yeah, so I know sacrilege. I know it's sacrilege. I apologize. That, okay, so who, who, really, who, who recruited you at Central? Butch Jones. I was uh, Butch Jones. I know, but who was, the, who was the position coach? That was Coach Stripling, who followed Butch Jones to Cincinnati and then Tennessee. And he was all about keeping me at defensive end. I Butch Jones and his staff left a month before signing day. So oh I never played. I never played. For so them, wait, so. wait, 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 wait. So, so you have one offer. That's right. And then the coach leaves. Uh huh. And what's, what's, what's that like? Well, cause so most guys open the recruitment back up. I didn't have recruitment to open up. So now I'm sitting there and I'm praying. I'm like, let the, I mean, I, ball state would come in and talk to me and just kind of like, they weren't offering me, but they were, you know, keeping me around. And so I'm just seeing this, waiting to see who Central Michigan hires. And my hope was they were going to promote from within, like maybe the, maybe Stripling, because he was the assistant head coach, maybe just promote him in. Everything's good. Well, they ended up hiring Dan Enos, which was actually good for me because he'd been the uh, running back coach at Michigan State for years. And he'd been one of the guys who would talk to me on those visits when I would go out to practice in games. There was yeah. something enough there. And for him, too, he's coming in three weeks before signing day, needing to fill a class. So I think he was in that was short enough time where he needed to keep some of us. Um, so and thank you. Go, 
Did you go in the spring or did you not go until after graduation? No, didn't go until after graduation, end of June. Okay. So what, are you still planning on playing D-line? Like what is the, what, what was it like when Enos gets there? Yeah. So when, when Enos got there, uh, they wanted me to play. They were, they were talking about three tech. So I was, the defensive end days were done. I was down to three tech. I was coming off of a shoulder surgery in high school. I had the AC, you jo- AC joint before my senior season, played the senior season, which idiotic looking back on it, but played my senior season, needed the surgery after the season. And then, so I was rehabbing a little bit, still going into the, my summer at central playing scout team defensive line hurt the shoulder again towards the end of that year. Okay. Wait, so, so, so help me, help me out. So help me out in terms of um, the, the difference when you're the change in three technique. Okay. Now again, this is, this is just, uh, I played football, but obviously not the line. So here's how I'm envisioning it. You get there, you're 240, three technique, they're moving you inside. That's like a run stopper, right? That's, that's more. Okay. That, yeah, that's a run stopper that has the ability to get after the passer a little bit. Are you lining up over the guard or the center? Outside shoulder of the guard. So you're, okay. you're between the guard and the tackle. Okay. Um, and did they tell you, hey, dude, you're at 240. You need to throw on however much weight. Meanwhile, you got a shoulder, so there's a lot of lifting you can't do. Like th- these things yes. seem to go counterintuitive a little bit. Again, this is more outside. So I was able to come back from my senior year in high school for the last – handful of games of basketball season, probably hair too early, but I wanted to play playoffs, all that good stuff. And I remember being on the phone. I started gaining weight because I knew even if I was playing defensive end, they were going to want me in the two sixties. So I was able to start lifting, put on some weight. And I remember a couple of weeks before I'm about to head to central, I get a call from the new D line coach. He's asking what I'm weighing. And I said, at the time I was up to 257. I was pretty thrilled. And I hear Enos, coach Enos in the background yell, tell him he's got to eat more got to get on more weight. So they end up getting me up to by, by the time I get there and through the summer, I probably entered training camp in the two seventies and it wasn't bad weight, but yeah, there was some lifts that were still hurting the shoulder. And um, I don't know if you ever hurt your AC joint, but anything over the head. So yeah. even a straight bench press, a, a decline that was actually better just based on that. So I knew something was still wrong, but was able to put on the weight you mind you, I was mainly a linebacker in, in high school. So even defensive end was a little bit of a transition, but then going down to three tech, you realize hand placement means so much more than anything else at linebacker in high school, you're coming downhill and I'm throwing forearms and shoulders and head at people um, where when you get to three tech and, and you're getting in there against college it is all about where can I get my hands on that guard, on my target, on my little target, this big, can I get him there faster? And he gets his on me. And that was the toughest thing probably for me to learn while pairing that with your feet as well. It's an incredible, incredible learning experience, especially because now I'm, that's my focus, right? But now I got the offensive tackle who's 315 pounds trying to come down on me on a double team as well. Incredible experience. However, little did I know, but when you're playing scout team, you spend most of your time actually with the offensive line because you're their dummies during drills. So the offensive line coach had to look at me for a few months. And at what point in time did they change around? Had surgery, end of the season, on the shoulder again, cleaned everything up. And then they moved me at the very end of spring ball. So I couldn't do anything spring ball. Actually, from the surgery, I had a blood clot in my arm, 
had to rehabbing, all that good. All the stuff as a freshman you don't want because the, the last thing you want as a freshman, you're just trying not to get forgotten about. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they can easily try and replace you. And I ended up uh, getting moved to April of my redshirt year. Uh, and now it was time to really put on some weight. How far is this from home? Hour north. How often did you go home? Freshman year, maybe once a month, I'd get home for a night, get a good meal. And by the, by the time you're senior, you're, <laughs> you know what I mean? You got your friends up there, you're acclimated more. So not nearly as much, but it was there when what, I needed what it. It was is, far enough, yet close enough. What, what is, what is the town like? Mount Pleasant is a college town. It was, when I was there, there's about 50,000 people in town and 25,000 are students. So in the summers, it's a desert. It is, you have your handful of great bars, great bars, and you have a casino. And then you have the Chippewa River. And outside of that, it's not much, but it was the perfect place to go to college because it's a great college town, great fun little bars. Uh, Casino there, I don't know why, but it's the only casino in Michigan. You'll have to be 18. So if you wanted to go there and lose your scholarship check in one night, you could. We tried to avoid it as much as possible. And then uh, besides that, it was just in the summers, though, you had to, you know, you could have your fun, but not no one else is in town, but pretty much the fall athletes. And yeah. for most of the summer, the football players were the only ones because uh, even like the basketball team got a few, you know, a month off or so. So you, uh, you had to be on your P's and Q's a little bit. Um, best bar in Mount Pleasant. You said there's some good bars. You're a loaded question, but if I had to pick one, I'd say O'Kelly's. Why? Multiple reasons. A, two sides. You got the classic bar side, massive TVs, pint night on Tuesdays, uh, that kind of atmosphere. Crossover to the other side, it's called Wayside, and that's more like the club experience. And by club, I mean, I'm not talking like nothing you'd find in Vegas. I'm talking something you'd find in small town Mount Pleasant. Oh, yeah. Listen, oh, yeah. listen. You had it in Stillwater. Stillwater, you had um, uh, you had the Tumbleweed, okay, which is a couple miles outside of town. But then you also had – there's a club there. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking what the club was called. But there was like a small, like, club there too, right? And you go – And post-game, the football players were in there. Then you go outside to the big – country bar and they're line dancing like crazy and you go back inside <laughs> fox sports radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app search fsr to listen live winning is an everyday mindset and we're here to help i'm craig robinson join me and coach john calipari for ways to win how do you play how do you work when you're not at your best. Coach Cal and I'll share some wisdom from our time coaching and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. You gotta win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph! Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, okay, so now you're rolling into your second year. Uh, you're coming off of shoulder surgery. What then? Now it's time to play some football. And I, so I missed spring ball because I was rehabbing. So I didn't even get the spring ball leading up to my freshman season to get going on offensive line. So I'm spending all summer. I basically was attached at, attached at the hip to a starting interior lineman named Darren Keaton, who spent a little bit of time with the Lions. I, was, I, I attached myself to him and said, hey, I know you're one of the brightest guys on the team. I'm going to follow your lead. Tell me how to be great. And I, between him and the offensive line coach, Mike Cummings, legendary. He, he, he had four different stints at Central Michigan. He's now, uh, he just had both of our offensive tackles actually from Central Michigan this past year, drafted in second and third round. And then he just went to University of Cincinnati. He's their new offensive line coach. Between those two, they got me ready mentally for a training camp. And when I got to training camp, you know, I got up to 300. How much of that was water weight and fell off fast. I mean, by the end of the season, I was 275. But I got up there and it was really just trying to show myself. And listen, I, I, I joked with my offensive line coach for two years. I was a linebacker playing offensive line. My feet were all over the place. I ended up on the ground board. I showed just trying to get after people. I busted my tail to do so. And my key was learning the playbook as fast as I possibly could. Because listen, if I'm wrong, 
I'll be wrong with my technique and learn that, but I want to be make sure mentally I'm on every check possible because I won't see the field to even make physical mistakes if I can't get there mentally. So it was all learning all that kind of stuff, all while trying to figure out in my center, my guard, and my both. I can't play tackle, I'm short. Um, so learning snap, learning to do all this kind of stuff. It was a whirlwind. And I'll never forget the practice that it kind of clicked. And everything was coming together for me. I was starting to click during training camp, all those two-day dog days. And I remember the head coach just coaching, you know, was yelling over to the offensive line area, basically saying, I, I don't know who our five are going to be, but we better have Phillips near. And I just remember that moment was kind of like, all right, got some confidence roll. And ended up, I was a sixth man by the time the season started and injury happens. And I end up starting the last half of the season. And like I said, I started a center. Then I got moved to guard the following year. So my next three years were there, but yeah, so I, was, I started as a freshman, the last five games of the season at, at center. And uh, like I said, last who's game, I was probably 276 pounds. Who's your quarterback? Back then it was Ryan Radcliffe, who he, he, he's a good player. Um, he was a, you know, he was a 3,200 yard, 25 touchdown, 10 pick kind of guy, uh, really good arm. Uh, he was the quarterback there for me, uh, first two years. So what's that, what are those emotions like though, to go from, you're kind of lost your freshman year, just trying yeah. to be, a, be around. That's right. Getting, pummel, getting pummeled, playing out of position to now you're starting center, other side of the ball position. You never played. Last five games are the most important five, all Mac, Mac games, right? Yep. What's that like? It's crazy. It's, you know, you go from thinking you're forgotten about and just wanting to make sure that they're not trying to get rid of you. And there, there's an old story that when I had my blood clot, you know, not going to name a name, but I got a call from a coach and it was kind of one of those, hey, yeah, you have blood clot, you're missing, you're making you stay in Lansing for a couple of weeks to test my blood. Do we let me go back to school for the first week of the second semester? Like, do you want to, you sure you can even play football again? Like it, I was smart enough to understand what I was. I was a guy who was to them, hadn't proven anything often injured. Can we get us, can we get this kid scholarship back to then, like you said, fast forward. And next thing I know, I'm on the opposite side of the ball a few months later, starting in division one football games. It was incredible. It was an experience a that I wouldn't forget, but also it moved so fast because the learning curve, it wasn't like I was just waiting, chopping at the bit to play the position I played my whole life. It moved so fast because every single day was something new technique, mentally studying, learning to play the position, and then to ultimately be put into the, the games. And then next year you get, start kind of piecing it together. You start figuring things out and boom, the season's over. But to be able to get to that point of within a eight month span of thinking, do these guys know my name to being the guy starting off the plays was pretty incredible. Um, offensive linemen. So I was Notre Dame. I hung out with the offensive linemen. Good they man. strike me as strike me as two things. One, very, very bright, and two, very, very gross. Like <laughs> the, like the, the discussions about anything from anything from beer to like they used to go to CJ's bar, I think, in uh, South Bend and like get a pitcher of beer, and then the beer would get down to very and then somebody pissing the beer. And then they put a little more beer in it and try and get somebody to drink it. 
right? And, and I'm being tame in terms of some of the grossness. On the other yeah. hand, they're also like super bright dudes and there'd be some really yeah. interesting discussions. Yeah. Your crew early on, you're a young guy, but Midwestern guy, right? Equacious. Well, uh, g- give me, give me the best, give me the best gross story and the most interesting guy. I love that question, actually. So this is good. You just want early on? No, you can give me whatever. I don't care. All time. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll go PG gross. Um, my buddies in the dorm, my freshman year, we used to, I used to let them on occasion. I said, go make me an ice cream sundae. You can put anything you want in the cafeteria in it and I'll eat it for five bucks. So they come <laughs> back with, I mean, I'm talking mustard, soy sauce, beans, anything you could think of. And I'd eat it for five bucks. Figure I got put on weight, go for it. I mean, that, that was looking back on it, you know, a little disappointed in myself. <laughs> you got to do what you can to get some bucks when you're in college. Philip uh, Hold on. Don't, don't, don't throw that away. Philip Sweden. He's got trying to gain weight. Philip Sweden. And I, and I was there. So that, that was a good one. Interesting character. So there's a lot of interesting characters. Um, oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> we had a kid named Dylan Anderson, brother rice high school, great high school in Michigan. Um, we, he never played, um, but was the, one of the funniest humans on the planet, uh, constantly had a shirt off and he, you know, he wouldn't care if I said this, he had one of those cartoon like stomachs, like just yeah. like perfectly round. Yes. Uh, you know what I mean? Like perfectly yes. round. And he had a, a bad habit as a freshman of showing up late, whether it was to class, whether it was to meetings, whether it was to a lift and couple of the older guys got sick of it. And he was, he was a freshman. So I was a year older than him. But we got sick of it and made him get on the table in our offensive line room with a shirt off. Had an attempt to do setups, which again, I'm talking about a cartoon belly. Wasn't his. Yeah. We're doing an impossible setup. Oh, he's doing an impossible setup. Don't tell me the impossible setup story. They weren't. No, no, they were, they were real setups. Yeah. Not the impossible setups. And every time he did a setup, he had to scream out in the room. I'm fat. I'm fat. I'm fat. <laughs> and I remember that moment just thinking like, thank God this kid's a good sport. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that, that thank, was thank a good God, one. Thank God, thank God this is back in, uh, what, 2000, what? Uh, shit. Uh, this is 2000. What year is this probably? That would have been 2011, 2012. Right, right. It happens in 2022 and you guys are like getting arrested. Right. Oh, hundred percent. And I'll even say, I'll even go on that too. One of our traditions on the office line, we went out to dinner with the quarterback every Thursday before games, every Thursday, O-line's going somewhere in town going to dinner. And our tradition was freshmen at one of those dinners had to get up no matter where the restaurant was and sing a song of your choice. So mine was, we went to Bennigan's, which is like an Applebee's went to yeah. Bennigan's and it is the, it's a Thursday dinner time, dead quiet in there. Like they barely had music playing and I had to get up, and stand up on like the stage or whatever they had. And I sang friends in low places, Garth Brooks, Oklahoma state, you know, and it was a blast. Anyways, by the time I was a senior, that was, uh, that was next. It was next. Uh, Unfortunately, that, that, that's that fairly, fairly. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, I would say D- Dylan Anderson went by a million other different names. Uh, our coaches referred to him as Dorfman. From uh, Animal House, and uh, he's probably the most interesting character, but great dude. 
Um, okay. So from that, how'd your college career go? Yeah. So then the next year after my freshman year, I played my, my freshman, I played that year. I didn't mention, uh, with a broken foot. So I'd have surgery after the season. So here I am three straight winners, three straight surgeries going back to high school. So I have surgery, miss another string ball. And now I'm like, all right, sure. I started five games. I by no means secured a starting spot. I'm still getting used to off the line. Well, our coach is a best five out there kind of guy. And early in camp, he realized the best five meant this other kid, uh, another freshman who had redshirted him at center me at guard. So I bumped over to the left guard and spent the next three years, started every game at left guard at, at Central Michigan. Um, I would say some of the highlights were my soft, that sophomore year. We went down and, well, first off, we got our tails kicked in. Michigan State came to Mount Pleasant. So big game, had to bring an extra stance. Kelly Short Stadium holds, I think, 30 32,000. They brought in like an additional 8,000 found places to put them, kicked our teeth in, wasn't competitive. Uh, we go down to Iowa the next week and beat Iowa on the craziest game of crazy game, better part. We're up by like three, most of the game, third quarter or being the fourth quarter, they take over. Um, they're up by nine. And if I recall correctly, we go down, score a touchdown with, I don't know, 45 seconds a minute left. Onside kick, get it. Two plays, 47-yard field goal game over. And it was the loudest stadium I played at. I played at the Big House. I played at Spartan Stadium, played down at NC State. Um, but the single loudest stadium was probably because it was a competitive game. Like, those stadiums probably could have got there. But that was a single loudest stadium because, A, their fans, their sideline is five yards. I mean, you don't have space behind you. When your coach is trying to talk to you while you're sitting on the bench, their fans are my jerseys behind me. I mean, they're right there. And it was just – but you could hear a pin drop as soon as that field goal went in. Unbelievable feeling. Going to my junior year. Um, Hold on. So, so, so and, and for people who I, – I think most people who listen to this pod will get it, but tell me if I'm wrong. Everybody at Central want to play at Iowa, right? Like Michigan State. The, the, the match is made – huh? Oh, you're saying Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just in terms yeah. of the Big Ten. Oh, 100%. Like, Mac is made up of dudes who were told, hey, dude, you're a little too slow. 100%. You're a little too small. You just, you're good, but you're not it, big. And the Big Ten is fucking arrogant, right? And they yes. rightfully so. Like, that is, especially on the offensive line, right? <laughs> yes. Because, yeah. and an Iowa offensive line, right? right? They, they're like the new Nebraska. Like, they walk oh, yeah. in, like, and, and to go in there and get a win. I can't oh, imagine. Yeah. I mean, that was when Brandon Sheriff was their left tackle that year. And yeah, I mean, the, those are big 10 offensive linemen. But yeah, every, every single one of us. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying to try and have some Mac pride. But no, we all wanted to. I was holding out committing to Central Michigan, waiting for my Michigan or Michigan State offer. Until then, I'm thinking like, all right, I got to commit. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, so you go in there, you have a chip on your shoulder, but is that chip going to be enough? But it was that day. And so yeah, to get that win was great. Um my senior year, which I don't want to fast forward too far, but we beat down a we beat down another Big Ten team. We went to Purdue, and I don't know if you remember the name Thomas Rawls. He spent some time in Seattle running back. He he transferred from Michigan. He was our running back. We ran power, so pulling guard, double team on the front side. We had to ran that near twenty times in the second half. I pulled pretty much all of them. So it was just me and Thomas through the hole. We beat the absolute 
dog shit out of them. Part of my language. No, you and can it, okay. It was, okay, good. It was 38 to 17 and it wasn't close. It was it, going to a big 10 stadium. We got a, their first possession. We got a pick six, our first possession, our quarterback at that point was a sophomore Cooper rush. Who's the Dallas Cowboy backup. He was, he was the quarterback my last two years. Uh, he threw a, like a 60 yard touchdown. So we're up 14, nothing like that. It just, it was never a game And their middle linebacker. Shout out to Sean Robinson. He was like complimenting me in the fourth quarter, like our team. He's like, you guys just get after man. I'd love to play for your team. And I was thinking <laughs> to myself, I was thinking to myself, you might want to focus on playing for your own right now, but it was, uh, oh, that was, those wins, like you said, because those were the guys who they said were better than us four yes. years ago. Oh, I totally, totally get it. Uh, when yeah. you're, when you're now, and how big, how, how much did you weigh then when you're playing guard? I was a consistent 305. I was able to hold it. So now you're, now you're 305 pulling guard. Yep. What's a better feeling? Okay. Uh, back when you were high school and you're either fullback or linebacker laying somebody out or when you're 305 coming downhill as a pulling guard. It's 305 downhill. But the reason being is I know the guy who I'm, who I'm laying out is a better athlete. And a, you know I mean? Cause high school is something you can lay a dude out and it's like, he doesn't want to be there. He's 134 pounds. Like, it doesn't feel as good when you okay. take a 250 pound Mike linebacker and you, you get the leverage and you get underneath him and you're bearing him into the ground. There is no better feeling on planet earth. That's awesome. That, that, that's awesome. Um, did you know, when did you know Cooper rush was a dude, right? Like, like so, Cooper rush. So he's from Lansing, Michigan as well. He's from Charlotte, but he went to Lansing Catholic central. So I knew of Cooper rush for a while and he's two years younger than me. He was always an accurate quarterback. He's funny, man. Cause he, Talk about a hooper. That guy can hoop, but he's not like your quarterback, your classic quarterback that like sits outside. He is Kevin McHale in the post. He's got feet for really? days. Yes. Really? Uh, and, and great, great moves down low. But anyway, I knew the dude, he came in his very first game was my junior year. He was a redshirt freshman. We opened up at, at the big house at Michigan, starting quarterback, third series, breaks his collarbone, done for the year. They bring in the next guy. It wasn't even Cooper yet. Cooper's third string week one. By week two, our, he comes in in the second quarter because the other guy just wasn't cutting it. They were playing one double-A school. This was supposed to be our now warm-up. Michigan just had their warm-up with us. This is supposed to be our warm-up. And after right. the first quarter, we're down like 10 nothing. We're like, can't complete the pass. It's raining. It's horrible. Coop comes in halfway through the second quarter and finishes the day with 320 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. And I'm like, all right. So the kid's a gamer. A few weeks later, we're down in Athens at Ohio playing the Bobcats. That is, that's one of the, I would say one of the better max stadiums. If you ever get a chance to go down to Athens, uh, I guess Joe Burrow's dad might've been on staff then. Uh, and we go down there, tough environment. They're a better team than us for sure. But we were clicking that day and he led a game winning drive. That was his first game winning drive. And I was like, dude's got some stones, I think. And then uh, my senior year was his sophomore year. We were playing in the Bahamas Bowl, inaugural Bahamas Bowl. And uh, it was actually, this was up. The final play was up for the ESPY that year for best play. But some dude wearing number 13, New York, had some one-handed catch people raved about and won it. Um, so we were down at ha- uh, uh, 10 minutes left in the game. We're down by 35 to Western Kentucky. Defense gets five straight stops. We score five straight touchdowns. Last play of the game was a Hail Mary. They got flipped around three different times. 
touchdown, 49 to 48. We went for two and didn't get it. But Coop set a, a record at the time, seven touchdowns in that game. And I was like, I think this dude's going to be all right. And two years you later, know, he was with the Cowboys. With uh, college football changing, those type of bowls, I don't know if they're going to go away or if they're going to stay. Yeah. But you're gonna, you will always get people who haven't experienced it who will say those games don't matter. They don't mean anything. Do they? Yes. And listen, I, I, I get it. Like, I, I don't, I'm not the kind of guy that sits here and watches every bowl game now that I'm out of it. But for the guys involved, it means something. I mean, listen, I played in two bowl games, was eligible another time of the year. We were eligible and didn't make it. We were devastated. And to go there – to even I mean, yeah, it, it means you play. I mean, you know, and I know you're asking me to explain, but it's just you have a pride in yourself, and you have end goals. And when you're playing that, especially like a max school, and the schools that are going to these kind of bowls, you know, you're not playing for the national title. You know, even if you go Central Michigan, we knew if we went 13 and 0, 12 and 0, and then the then won the MAC championship, we weren't going to the playoff. I mean, so your bowl games matter. It's your championship. It's your time to get on the national stage. Is the other thing. And your time to compare yourself against guys in other conferences, because listen, you can be the best dude in the back, but can you be a dude against everyone in the country is what you want to prove. And again, you know, your game's going to be on national TV, which you have a handful every year when you're in the Mac, you know, that game's going to the bright lights are going to be bright and you're going to have people from all over the country tuning in to watch you. And can you show out and can your team get in there and get it done against, you know, a team that is supposed to be at your level, but in a different conference, it's kind of a little bit of pride in that too. So. It absolutely means something, but I agree. I, I don't know what college is going to turn into. It's, it's a endless. I don't want to be like the, you know, I don't want to be like the guy who's like, oh, you have old school thoughts, but I don't know. I kind of like the way I like the way things were. I like the conferences. And I was, again, this is, I'm going to get, I'll get heat for this, I'm sure. But I was always the guy, listen, I, if you wanted to give me a few hundred bucks when I was in college to get by in the summers, I would have taken it. I would have loved it, but I've never been the type of guy that thinks that we should have got paid. I, I, I think there's a really then, and again, I don't know what your feelings are on this, but I'm understanding A, we're getting education. We're getting our college paid for it. B, my thought and belief system was, especially after being out and after being out of it, I think there's a level of hierarchy when kids aren't making the money because I'm looking at the dude and good for him. Who's going to probably get, $3 million Addison going to USC is he going to be making more than his receiver coach is my question. And if he shows up to a meeting, how's he going to be disciplined? I mean, you're talking about 17 to 22 year old kids who need that discipline to survive life. And I think the money could really cost some pickups for that. So I was never on that. So again, that was my biggest hiccup. And then now that there's more money involved and conferences are changing, I just, I don't know what the landscape is. It feels like it's, it went from, amateurism to minor league NFL real fast, which is, in, which is interesting because I think people think it's always been the minor leagues. It hasn't. And no. here's the thing about minor league sports. People don't care about minor league sports. No. They like college they sports. Yes. But they also like college sports. And I don't necessarily know it's because they don't get paid. I think it's like, it's about the regional rivalries, like Michigan and UCLA in the same league. Like, what are we doing? Like, like part of part of the beauty of this whole thing is like the max is a perfect example, but you could even say the big 10 is most of those guys all came from the same area. They, you know, they, and 
You chose your school. I chose mine. Michigan passed on this kid. So he had to go to Indiana. Okay. And you're right. like, fuck, fuck Michigan your whole <laughs> yes, life. Exactly. And, 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 and when you get to play Michigan, you're like, right. Those are, that's, that's the way it works. And we're destroying all that. I would also say that and here's the crazy, here's the crazy part. Paying football players before they've played a down of college football is insane, insane. On, a, on a multi-level. Here's the first part. They're not good enough to play right away. Correct. They're just not. Correct. So what's going to happen? They're going to get a bunch of money. They're going to show up and either you play them right away, which is to the detriment of the team. And you talked about the hierarchy, right? The player, right? Play them before he's ready. But also you got like, what's the point of staying around here? Tell him a junior and a senior when it's my turn to shine. Okay. Correct. And if you don't play him because he's not really that good, yep. well, then he transfers and he goes somewhere yep. else. Yep. And the cycle continues. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an absolute, absolute mess. And the transfer rule, I hate like now the, the one-time transfer, you can transfer and I can sit out. Is there That's be, crazy. Is there going to be like super teams? Like what are we going to get in this whole, whole college, all sports, but my, well, that, that's thing. the thing. Like, it's like everybody says, well, like JJ Watt transferred up. Great. He also sat out so he could change his Correct. body. Correct. Right. Correct. Change his body and assimilate to a higher level of football. It doesn't happen overnight. That, that set out rule actually benefits the player, but we have people who, you know, <laughs> it doesn't it, make it you waste a year of eligibility getting ready no. for your next step. No, no. It, yeah, I, and listen, I know we're in the era that, you know, I just, I you don't I, have to hold back. Like this is a legit discussion that people I just, I, I, I think that people think, listen, man, yes, we're in America. Yes. There's freedom. It doesn't mean there can't be like legislation. It doesn't mean there can't be rules. Rules are okay. Guess what? Rules are actually okay. It's also, it's also like part of it is part of it is like what you, everybody's like, well, if you achieve something in college, you achieve some college, you can go be a professional. Right. That's, right. That, that's, that's the way it, that's what it works. If you're really good. You're going to make a lot more money, life-changing money. At the next level. Okay, so you, yes. we're off our soapbox. You and I have student <laughs> agreement. You have a different perspective on it, which is fascinating. Okay, so you get done with college. Yeah, you started for parts of four years, yep. right? Four years. Uh, if you include those five games, your your redshirt freshman year at at center, right? Um, um, now what? So I was getting some calls from agents before my senior season. Our coach didn't like us talking to agents. So pretty much once camp started, I just told my dad, hey, I'm going to direct everything to you. Hopefully I get an opportunity. We'll see. Um, I was on Mac a couple times. So I figured I at least had that going for me. I knew I was smart enough to play at the next level. I knew I, you know, the work ethic, but we all know that that, that should be a given, not a, that's not a rite of passage. So I just wanted to play my senior year, figure it out. And, by the time I came home for Thanksgiving, my dad had a couple of agents. He goes, these are the ones that I talked to. They seem legit. They're um, maybe give, give this guy a call. He was my favorite. So I called, uh, his name was Carter Chow. Worked, he's a partner for Yee and Dubin Sports, which Yee and Dubin Sports, they're famous for being the agency with Tom Brady and Julian Edelman and Garoppolo and Sean Payne and those guys. So I called him and I, you know, had, we had a really good conversation. And I, it's like, I told my dad, I was like, I don't really need to talk to anyone else because listen he's proven to work with guys from smaller schools have some creativity with talking uh language wise i mean he had, i have a great story about how he had to work with uh the patriots and edelman not knowing him mean, he's a project he's a kent state quarterback but so i knew he was able to work with small school guys and 
so yeah, I, I signed with them after my bowl game. I signed with the Indubin Sports. Uh, they moved me out to California, moved me out to uh, Manhattan Beach, had me stashed up there. I worked out the Exos uh, down near Inglewood. And I mean, this is right in your area, I guess. But uh, so I worked over at the Exos um, down there, which that was, again, you, you're, we're talking about comparing yourself earlier about like when you play a big 10 team, well, this was it. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm there with dudes from UCLA and USC and Michigan guys from all over Nebraska guys from all over the country. And I'm trying to compare myself and man, I, I just, I locked in. I, I, it was as if I was off and I was about, I was Rocky in Russia getting ready to fight Drago. It was one of those. <laughs> I just, you know what I mean? I was bought in and anything they told me to do, I did. And, you know, even the little thing, I'm an offensive lineman and I didn't have a drop of beer in my system the entire time I'm out there. I was just, listen, I have one shot at this thing. I want to make sure I give it my all. And I, it was my agent took a shot. I mean, they're paying money investing in me. I want to make sure he's going to get the best opportunity on his investment. So I trained out there, didn't get invited to the combine. So I had to go to the pro day, show up to pro day, March 20th, 2015. And six, two, even. So that was a little bit. One of these, you know, not six, one, seven, eight, six, two, even like, and I remember my agent, he just kept saying, cause you got the, I was training in California. <clears throat> I lost a bunch of weight. We were working out, you know, pulling two days and they were trying to decrease fat, increase muscle. But as you're decreasing the fat, you're losing. By the time that everything came about, I am 296, 295. And he's like B300 under pro day, B300 under pro day. Like it, it, that number means something like, all right. I ate, this had to have been near midnight the night before. And I'm like, I'm light. I know I'm light. I made a box of jambalaya and ate that entire thing six hours before I'm getting up for my pro day, <clears throat> chugging water. And I weighed 300.0 right in the bathroom, piss, come back and boom, bench press has already started. So now here goes a pro day. I had a good pro day. I ran 499, another good thing to get right under. Yeah, number five. And then, you know, 26 bench reps and, you know, showed out in the drills. And I called my agent after. He's like, he's not a BS or he wouldn't sugarcoat anything. He's like, hey, man, you might just got yourself drafted. All right, cool. So now, now it's the waiting game. And I leaned up to the draft, man. I'm just getting some calls here and there, you know, from, from teams, offensive line coaches, scouts, who knows. Two teams that showed the most interest were easily the Falcons, who <laughs> one of their coaches actually did ran the offensive line workout at my pro day thought I'd fit really good into their zone scheme because that's when they were transitioning offensively from more gap scheme to, to more zone scheme. And he thought my athletic And, and for zone, zone scheme, it's more about your athletic ability and your movement. 100%. And they were, everyone in the NFL is viewing me as a center. They were like, all right, we know you play guard, but your size, your quickness, space and space, you're going to fit more. And your, I had short arms, which is a thing I didn't even know was a, important until I realized I had them. And, uh, and then Chicago Bears. To the point that come draft day, now, mind you, I, I'm smart enough to understand that I wouldn't even have a chance to know where I'm going until day three. But we're an hour before the first round starts on Thursday. And Dave Magazoo, rest in peace, he actually just passed away last year. He was offline coach of the Bears. He calls me an hour before the first round starts and goes, hey, man, it's going to be a great weekend for you and your family. Can't wait to talk to you here uh, soon. So I'm like, all right, well, I at least think I got a shot with the Bears day three, right? They didn't have any seventh round picks. They had a couple six round picks. <clears throat> Anyways, draft comes and go. I don't get I don't get picked up or I don't get drafted. 
Uh, and the, the funniest part is the Bears and the Falcons both went radio silent after the draft. Both had communication with my agent in the late rounds, like, hey, make sure the phone's ready, all this kind of stuff, right? Radio silent after the draft. I'm talking 10 minutes ago, by, 20 minutes go by, 30 minutes go by, and I'm like, you're coached up. Your agent coaches you up. Like, hey, it's the draft. If you don't get drafted, once the seventh round starts, I'm already going to be having conversations with teams during the seventh round about if yours not picked, we want to bring him in. Here's his undrafted free agent contract. We would offer it. <laughs> so my thought was he's probably hopefully collecting a few offers and we can decide. Half hour goes by, hour goes by, nobody wants me. I'm like, the hell's going on? Finally, he calls and he goes, not great news, but news. He goes, um, you got a few teams that at least will bring you in for a tryout, um, you know, because they're having their rookie camps where they bring all the guys they draft and all the guys they signed in. Then they invite like 25 tryout guys pretty much because they need to fill a practice. <laughs> he goes, I got you in Green Bay next weekend. If you don't make it there, Kansas City the following. So you show up in Green Bay, free agent rookie camp. Yes. Midwestern kid. Yep. In Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's right. He's a Lions fan. Um, oof, that's a tough life. Um, so, so you pack up your car? They flew you out. So I got an itinerary. They said, here's your ticket. But you didn't want to fly, you want to drive? I would have chosen. I actually would have chosen to drive. What were you rolling in senior year in college? Ninety-eight Chevy Blazer Gold. Wow, gold! Yeah, that oh yeah, see, it sounds nice, right? Yeah, no, no, I had a, I had a ninety-five Chevy Blazer. Yeah. Not bad car. However, my senior year, something was so wrong with it that if you didn't start it for six hours, it wouldn't start. Yeah. So when you have 6 a.m. practice, oh, the battery was dead. Uh, that just, Correct. I was using the battery, yes. <laughs> so when I had uh, like a 6 a.m. practice. But like you said, like in college, it, there's, kind of a, there's kind of a beauty to not having any money and still figuring out a way to survive. 100%. You're ready for life after that. I used to have to go at midnight, do a couple laps around, around the little complex area just to make sure it was starting the morning for practice. And we were just talking about this the other day. So there was a place in Stillwater called Fazoli's. It's like drive-through, sort pizza? of fast food. Huh? No, With pizza and breadsticks? Yeah. Impostors? Yeah. yeah. We have one so in Lansing. All you can eat. So I would roll in at like 9.56 and I would be like, hey, my man, listen, can I get all your breadsticks? You're about to throw them away anyway. Right? <laughs> I, used to, I used to go to Cold Stone and say, hey, listen, I've heard this isn't true. I know you got some ice cream cakes in the bag that have technically expired, but they've been frozen. Can I get them? They used to give me free until they... The word got out in the streets. We would do, we would do, we, we had, I had a place like every different place in Stillwater that was fast food. Like what time they close? All right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna do. We had a, this is, this is, we had um, my junior year. We moved off camp, uh, junior. Yeah. We moved off campus to a house. We called the palace kind of tongue planted from right, nice. right. And there were some girls that, uh, wanted to was it they wanted to do their laundry because we had a washer dryer and so they would bring that we be like hey you can use the washer dryer but you got to cook us dinner so yeah. like once a week they do the washer dryer you come home the house would smell amazing and we'd have a full meal and like the washer's going 
And then you talk to me like, hey, uh, there's an extra load there. Can you just throw my, my wash in there? Like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and fold it up nice there, too. Right. Yeah. Like, as long as you're there, the do it right. Do. But but it's it's interesting. It's like we are we're really we're really uh, hurting people in that we make it so much easier for them. And there's like a there's yeah. kind of a coolness to it, you know. Absolutely. And, and, and look, and, and I know that that some of that has changed. There's a lot more affluence with kids at college, you know. Um, but having your dorm fridge and you know figuring out you know, figuring out how to, how to have a stereo system that can open to the quad when you're in the dorms or then, you know, at your, at your house or like just anything you can get for free or to discount oh my God. or whatever. It's the 100%. best. We, we live next to this, the same, we lived on Knapp street, same house, the palace. And we had cops that live next door. And like we babysat their kids one time and they said, don't worry, we're going to take care of you, but not with money. We're like, that's weird, but okay. And they would break up house parties like high, high, high school house parties and give us the beer. And it was amazing. Like they come in like, hey, man, we got a case of beer. It, yeah. It's natty. You're like it's natty ice. You're like, oh, yeah. uh, natty ice. Ooh, okay, fine. It's free. And you, you'd stick it in the fridge. I don't, I don't want my college kids drinking IPAs and, and, you know, Stella. I want my kids drinking Bush Lights and natties and figuring it out. That's life. But I agree. There is a, yeah. There's a beauty in the misery that is just – not misery at all because you work through it, you figure things out. And yeah, I'm with you. I, I, again, I, I don't think everything is bad that's going on these days. I'm not that guy yeah, yeah. off your lawn, but I think there is a beauty in the struggle. No, uh, I, I agree. Okay. So you get the green, so you get out the plane in green Bay. Yeah. Okay? And what's it like when you go into the Packers lot? Now, how does it work with the bike thing for the free agent minicamp? Do you have the bike <laughs> thing or is that, that yeah. not so regular? No, that is. So, well, first off, I get to Green Bay, and I'm one of 25 trial guys. So we walk in. They take us all to the locker room first. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, again, I come from a Mac locker room, which Damn. is now amazing after the $30 million facility that was just put up. But in my time there, it was like, it was nice. It's better than my high school. I'm good. Going into that one's a different story, into Lambeau. And I'm looking, and all these rookies are going up. The drafted ones, the signed ones, the lockers, right? I'm like, where the hell is my locker? Like, oh, no, hey, trial guys, come with me. Down a little tunnel, this, that, and the other. We're in the away team locker room. I'm like, you're kind of pissed off a little bit, right? Anyways, two days go by, and I ended up being the only one of the 25. Now, hold on. Are you practicing the practice fields or in Lambo? Uh, not not Lambo. We're, we're in the indoor, the indoor, the uh, okay. Don Hudson indoor. Um, and, yeah, so we're in there. We have two practices. So really, yeah, we had meetings until about 9, 9.30. We get home, at, we get back to the hotel like 9, 9.30. <laughs> Me and Brett Humley, UCLA, former UCLA quarterback. Sure. My boy. I actually trained with him out, and he was at, out at Exos with me. So we had a relationship there. They drafted him in the fifth round. I'm like, dude, I'm playing center your quarterback. Let's be on the same page. We stayed up to like 12.30 studying the playbook. Little things from snap counts, checks, this, that, and the other. And the next day, it actually, it showed. I mean, you could tell the guys that studied the playbook. You had the, the cheat ones code. Did. You had all the cheat codes. You had to do what you had to do. And awesome. The first day, I'm splitting reps with uh, another center from, from Oregon. By day two, I got 90% of the reps because I knew what I was doing, making all the calls. As, as a center, you're making every call, IDing the mic, being called directing traffic, this, that, and the other, busting my ass down the field every freaking play. And anyways, I ended up go through today. Cam, now you're just waiting. You're like, 
So they hold, they hold, they come in, they have a meeting with all the trial guys and say, Hey, we'll be in touch with your agents. Right. Good job. You guys all, all plan on flying out tomorrow. And they don't have one guy. Cause, cause my former brother-in-law was the, called him the grim reaper with, uh, <laughs> that's why I called Elliot Wolf. Okay. And Elliot he would, was he'd, he'd be the one, he would be the one to be like, Hey man, we gotta let you go. Yeah. He was the, he was a, Hey coach, we'll see you bring your playbook kind of guy. I mean, yeah. he, the last guy you want to see at 6 a.m. in the locker room. Well, he's the one that held the meeting, basically, and said, hey, everyone's flying out tomorrow. Your scheduled flight. We'll be in contact with your agents if we want to bring any of you back. Tonight, you're going to Breffar Steakhouse. Great. Everyone's pumped. I'm pissed, right? Because I knew I performed. Anyways, everyone's leaving the, the team meeting room, and Ellie grabbed me, took me to the gym where they had a, a basketball court, actually, and he goes, hey, uh, we're signing you. He goes, you're the only one. I don't want to make it a big deal in front of these guys. Keep it low. Don't tell anyone tonight. Come back to uh, Lambo tomorrow. We'll sign your contract. And I'm just elated. Right? Like, th- all right. So now I feel like I'm where I thought I would be. First call. It just took First a week. Call. First calls who? Parents. Parents and parents. Uh, who picked up? Ooh, I don't know if it was the parents or – I think it was parents one and then my uh, uh, girlfriend at the time was number two. Who's not my wife, but it was my parents. And I think it was my dad. What I was blacked out. I mean, you're just blacked out at that moment. You I just remember, remember what I said. No idea. Just like, Hey, uh, it's over. Uh, I'm staying. And I just remember like, it was, a, I'm in the gym, like not trying to be too loud in case anyone's on the other, you know what I mean? And I remember I hugged Elliot. I remember that. And he was probably like getting a bear hug. Elliot's a little guy. His, his uh, father is Ron Wolf, the Hall of Fame GM for the Packers. Yes, of course he was. Yeah. So yeah, but Elliot was a grim reaper in camp. He's the last guy you wanted to see. Last guy you wanted yep. to see. So, yeah, I got signed, and I next thing I know, like, sign my contract the next day, following day, show up to um, the offseason and got my locker in the, in the home locker room. That was the moment. That was the one that was kind of like two days ago I was in the waiting locker room pissed off. Kind of had that moment like, fuck, yes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm here. Now it's a level playing field. You know what I mean? Like, here. Who's, uh, who, who are you near locker-wise? Who's on the left and the right? Uh, Mitchell Henry was locker mate. Rest in peace. He actually, so he was a tight end from Western Kentucky. I just played him in the bowl game. Uh, really good player. Bounced around Packers, Denver. He got brought out to Baltimore. This had been a couple years later. They were assigned him. They brought him out for a physical and found a leukemia. And he actually passed, I think, two, two or three years ago now. So he was, he was, I actually don't remember who's on my, my uh, other side. Why don't I remember that? Maybe it was a rotation. I don't know. But uh, it was more, mainly just the rookies and mostly undrafted guys, and um, yeah, and it was it was great. It, and then and then when did stories. you do the bike thing? When did you do the bike training thing? camp? So I don't start. OTAs go by, mini camp goes by. You're trying okay, to get so, there. So OTAs is is, is uh, Rogers was he at the was, yep. was right at? This is okay, before. So, so by the way, so, yeah, the man. Okay, so. And I got great Roger stories. I have great Roger stories. Okay, well, we have we have time. Um, okay, so uh, help me out though. Yeah. Um, first time you meet Aaron Rodgers walks in. Yep. We were, it was actually so when I was talking about when they were taking us all to our lockers the first day. He's coming out of the equipment. We're walking to the equipment room. Looks over at all of us and everyone. We kind of all lose like a little freeze. Like, oh shit! MVP's looking at us. And he smiles, does one of these, goes, 
at Slappies and just kept walking away and like smiled and kind of like cool, calm. And like, we all kind of got like a chuckle out of it. It was all right, that's cool. Next time though, then I get signed. Very first practice, like walk through stuff. Comes up to me right away. Like, hey man, I'm Aaron. And I pulled a classic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know. And he like laughs and he's like, hey, so where are you from? Center guard. I'm like, yeah, center guard. You're Central Michigan. Ah, the Chippewas. Like, he was just normal dude. It's funny. You always hear like the conversations. Like, everyone like really hypes up Tom Brady for being the guy that introduces himself to the last man on the team. I'm like, I can testify. Rogers does the same thing because I was yeah. number eighty nine. They, they, they all have. They all have this thing. So I'm. I. I. I met Joe Biden last night, and wow. um, uh, the that's a big deal. Senate, yeah, it's a big deal. So the the. But like politicians and quarterbacks are the same, the same in that like you can talk to him for five minutes and you're like, holy shit, we're best friends. Like we should go out. We should go out. We should go out sometime. <laughs> oh, I didn't get your number. Yeah, yeah. It's totally exactly. Um, OK, then what's the experience like to watch him throw a football for the first time? Ridiculous. I mean, it, it, again, it's one thing seeing something on TV, like probably like me. I watch Steph Curry and it's just like. Good God, but to see him in person is probably a whole other story, right? Yeah. Watching that guy throw the football, it like it literally spits out like a seed out of his hand. And I remember it was one of the it was uh, early, it was in minicamp, and he was out there. They run a two minute drill, and the first time this is before Mahomes was Mahomes. First time I ever saw this, he's is fourth in whatever fourth and goal from like the thirteen. He drops back. He's scrambling. And I have, I'm behind. I have the end zone view of this. So I have, I'm behind the offense like this way. So I can have a perfect view of this. He's boom, 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 doing his little dance in the pocket. Starts rolling out to his left, pointing to the corner, zips it back this way to the center of the field between two guys, touchdown right in the chest. And I'm like, so that's how this level is. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's a wizard. There's something. Yes. A wizard. And there's some funny stories, but the coolest thing was, listen, man, Aaron Rodgers, he's taking snaps from Corey Lindsay. You know what I mean? He's not taking snaps from Corey Lindsay at the time. It was J.C. Trutter. Two really good centers in Green Bay at the time. That's who he's – so I didn't – I wasn't – I was around him all the time because center quarterbacks do a lot of stuff, but I wasn't snapping there. Last practice I ever had in Green Bay was the day before the final preseason game. And starters, he wasn't going to play. So anyways, I go out there and I do go through all like the stuff with the offense. Well, then it was time for the defense, the number one defense to go out there. I'm, you know, you're exhausted from doing your thing. Now you have to go play scout team center. So I get in the huddle. This is going to be like an 18 play, 20 play script. <clears throat> Aaron comes in the huddle, taps out the court. I goes, I got this one. He's like, I'm not playing tomorrow. Let me, let me get after our guys. They could have just thrown the cards away because he changed everything at the line of scrimmage. He was going up there. So the defense is supposed to practice, looks at New Orleans is going to give them. And Aaron's checking everything at the line of scrimmage, getting us in a good spot. He comes up. So I'm at center. I feel 12 hands right, under, right underneath me. I'm like, I'm not getting this guy hurt. This was supposed to be walkthrough-ish. It's run-through. Like, first couple steps hard, then you're easing off. I fired off the ball as hard as I possibly could at BJ Raji, where there had to be kind of like some breakup because he wanted to kill me. Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm like, I'm not getting him hurt. <laughs> Listen, I'm not getting, I'm not letting you let, get knocked back into him. 
And we went 18 plays right down the field. He's checking everything at the line. And the coolest thing for me was you see the Aaron Rodgers hard count that gets the defensive jump. The thing no one understands is the center has to snap it to get the call. Also, you don't want to be the center that thinks the guy's offside. You snap it. He wasn't offsides. And next thing you know, it's a false start left. We got hard count, boom, guy jumps, I snapped it. He throws a touchdown. He came up, smacked me in the head. Great job. And it was, it was kind of one of those moments, you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyways, that was my last practice I ever played football. And I always thought, I'm like, it took me like even a couple of years thinking back to that moment. I'm like, I wonder if he kind of like did that, jumped into that huddle. I wonder if he does it every year because he knows there's a lot of dudes that will never play football again. Let's give him a moment. Let me throw to some of these receivers that are going to be, you know, going and selling insurance or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if, you know, I was, I was able to ask him down the line and he, he didn't necessarily say, yes, that's exactly why I did that. But he kind of said, yeah, I like to give, you know, I like to be out there with the guys, you know what I mean? And I, and I, I thought that was a cool moment. Yeah. That's amazing. Winning is an everyday mindset and we're here to help I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Juan Gabriel. Juan Gis. Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Harold G. La Bichota. 
Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's it, what's it like to not play football? It was tough right away. Um... You had to figure out, and I, and I think every athlete goes through this at some point, especially if you love the game. And listen, not everybody loves, not everybody who plays in the NFL loves, the, loves to play football. I love and still do love football. It's not play. I had to find different ways to have, you know, redirect your passion. And I think that was the hardest part was finding what that was. And I knew I had to be involved. I knew I had to be with the game at some point. I didn't know what area I wanted to be involved in that. And is why I wanted to start getting into more of the media side of it, just because I like to talk about the game. And that was the, that was the underrated part of being on a football team was you get the, yeah, the camaraderie is the unbelievable part in the locker room, but you're always talking ball. You're always talking ball. When you stop playing football and you're not in locker rooms anymore and you're not, you're going to a corporate world USA, you're not always talking ball. And I really missed that on top of the competitive part. I missed that. And so the redirect to get into more media, that's helped kind of fill that same passion bucket a little bit. It's tough. I mean, I still like you come September, I'll, you know, I'm going to head down to central Michigan plays at Penn state at happy Valley. I'm going to go to it. And I'm sure I'll get those same jitters and same, like, man, I wish I could, you know, what's the Toby Keith song. <clears throat> Ain't as good as I once was. I'm good. Once, once was, as ever was. was. Yeah. I, I still think that, like I always say, like I, I could give you a drive. I don't know if I can give you a quarter anymore. I can give you a drive and you feel that now I'm sure the drive wouldn't look like I hoped it would. Though. But you had to play in a preseason game in Lambeau field, didn't you? Two played two in Lambeau, one in Heinz field, one Gillette stadium. I was, I always said, talk about like, listen, not there's anything wrong with this, but some guys get like their experiences picked up by the Jaguars. Yeah. You get to play like the Falcons, the Panthers. Or you play like, and, a, you play like a college stadium or something. Yeah. Right. I got my first preseason game is at Gillette on NFL network right after the news that Tom Brady's going to be suspended two games for deflate gate. When he ran out of that tunnel and he started this, Tom Brady always plays preseason, at least in first goal. He started the game when he ran out of that tunnel, you know, the helmet off the hair flowing Gillette was rocking like a big F you to the NFL, basically knowing the games on that was unbelievable. Week two, <clears throat> went to Heinz Field. That was actually when Jordy Nelson tore his ACL that game. And then the last two were against the Eagles. Didn't, he tear, the didn't Jordy tear it in practice? I remember Jordy tearing it in practice. Not that year. That year, the, it, was, it was the preseason. It was at Lambeau, first quarter. I remember seeing him like, off. What's it like it to was, play in Lambeau? Oh, it's unbelievable. It, I, I'll tell you all the time. If I had to can, compare, like if you had to describe these places, like – that would feel like football heaven. Like it was almost like the field of dreams of football. Like you feel, you feel, you do. And it sounds corny, but you feel 
the Lombardi and Lambo and Ford in the air. You just, there's something about it that I think part of it's the fans, part of it's the fact that it's like dropped in the middle of a neighborhood. <clears throat> part of it is, you know, before you walk out the tunnel, there's a line of brick, which has been there forever. For all the revisions, that's part of like the old, like it's, that's been there that every legend who's ever played or stepped foot into Lambo field had to walk through. And it's across the ledger. I mean, they have family night every year during training camp, which is a public practice. It sells out every year. I mean, so you're at a packed Lambo stadium for practice and just the fans are insane. Um, have you ever been there? No, it's, it's, I gotta go. Again, it, it is. So it's let's like, go this year. Let's go. Let's do it. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I got to I got to go. I got to see. Don't BS me. Let's person. do it. Yes. I gotta let's do it. Go. So, and so here's my, here, I got a working thought here. Okay. okay. I want to do it to where. Where it's cold. There's what, huh? You want it to be there when it's cold. Yes, but not really fucking cold. Okay. You want November. You don't want December. Fair. Like it, to me, you know, I've always thought if I could shoot baskets in one place, you know, it would be, I've, I've that says for years. If I could shoot baskets on one hoop in the world, it would be wherever the hell that farm was where Jimmy and Hoosiers was playing. Yeah. Like there's something about that, like on the dead grass, that hoop. And I think the same thing with like Lambeau field. It's just like, you know, like feel the dreams. You just know there's something different, something historic and something special in there. Okay. Let's see here. Okay. So, Ooh, week 10 Dallas Cowboys. They go to week eleven. Week yes. Week eleven is the Tennessee Titans. Uh, so those are the two. Those are the two November games. What are, what are we looking at? Thirteenth and twentieth, or what yeah. are the? Yeah. Uh, you're looking at the thirteenth is Sunday, and the Thursday night game is Tennessee. Can't do a Thursday night game. That doesn't make any yeah. sense. So thirteenth. That, that's not the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> that works for me. Let's do it. Okay, we'll do it. November 13th. Okay. The boys take Lambo. I'm in. Now, and then we got, we really got to do, really got to do it right. He's got to do like a Wisconsin game, like the Saturday. Saturday. Plays Jump around a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm with yes. you. Yes. I'm in. And then I'm we got to, before the game though, we got to hit Kroll's. Best burger in town. Get some pints. You're looking right at Lambo. How big? How big a burger? I, I feel like it's big. Wider than thick. They're thinner patty, but they're, yeah, I mean, they're good. They're like, I don't want to say, I don't want to say like a Frisbee, but you know what I mean? Like a mini Frisbee. Um, tell me about the book. Round zero inside the NFL draft. Uh, I had the idea for my own draft experience because of my conversation with the Bears offensive line coach. I'm like, he wouldn't have wasted his time calling me before the first round if he couldn't even get me as a free agent or a tryout guy, right? So I felt like there has to be some disconnect in the draft process or is there stuff I don't know? So I've always thought like, I want to get all the angles and get stories to try and piece this thing together that everybody loves. And I always say like, I don't want the opinion of the draft from necessarily the guys on WIP down here in Philadelphia. Like they're great, but you're going to get, you know, the back page of the New York post or your uncle Sal, who just says, this is the year for the lions. Like I want to get, true stories from the guys actually involved. So I was like, <clears throat> can I get stories from players who went through it? GMs, coaches, and agents. I mean, those are really the four angles that make up the draft. And I was fortunate enough to start doing some contributing writing for the pro football hall of fame last year. 
So I reached out to them. I said, hey, listen, I got this idea, but obviously with my connections alone, I wouldn't be able to do this the right way. I said, if I ask for a few, you know, Hall of Famers, you think you guys at least outreach for me to see if they'd be interested and participate? They said, absolutely. So then from there, I had to pitch it to a publishing company and got one to sign off with it. And what we do is there's four sections. You get a player section where I interviewed 10 different players, legendary stories of their draft experience. Okay. What were your conversations like pre-draft? What were you hearing? Did you talk to the team much that drafted you? Um, how did you go about training? Talk to coaches. Same thing. Like you guys, good team. So I talked to Bill Cower. I said, listen, your time in Pittsburgh, your team's usually finished in January, right? Because you're in the playoffs. How much trust did you have to put into your yes. scouts and your GM? Because you're really hopping in late to the process. So hearing his process of how he would attack and how you would assign his coaches to attack looking at prospects. The GMs, Bill Polian, is he ran three different organizations and took all three to at least championship weekend. One of them was obviously the Bills. He was the guy that really started that. He was there for three of those four years in Buffalo that they went to the Super Bowl. He was the first GM of the Carolina Panthers in their history. And by year two, they're in the NFC title game. And then obviously everyone knows that <clears throat> everyone knows about uh, Indianapolis, but hearing him tell the Ryan Leaf Peyton Manning story is fascinating. It's in the book. Oh, it's in the book. And I'm not going to, I won't we'll have to leave somewhat of a tease here, but what I will say is there were some clear characteristic things that you knew that Peyton had, but they found out Ryan did it from some stories. Now, Ryan, his turnaround in life is very documented and great. Yeah. But the small snippet I'll give you is Peyton said, I'm going to be there the day after the draft if you draft me. And they're like, I ah, know you, you know, NFL rules say you're supposed to wait a week. He's like, no, no, I'm going to be there. You guys figure it out. So then they go and they ask Ryan Leaf, like, hey, you ready to get to work right after the draft? And he goes, me and my buddy's got a Vegas trip. I'll actually be a week late. Like, so it was kind of like right there. It's kind of like, I mean, listen. Uh, and then you talk to agents and my agent, Carter Chow, Unbelievable. He has a great Julian Edelman story in here. Uh, represented the number one pick this year, Vincent Taylor. Uh, first African-American to represent the number one overall pick. I read, I can't confirm that uh, right now, but uh, he's a great guy. And then uh, Case Donahue, who works more of a region out of the Minnesota area. And then Lee Steinberg, Mr. Jerry Maguire himself. Uh, fascinating stories. Um, and I, my favorite part about Lee Steinberg is he was my first interview for the book. <laughs> and Lee didn't hold a thing back. He, there was no agenda with him. There was no, like, I shouldn't say too much. I don't want to give away secrets. Lee let everything hang. His chapter's fantastic. Well, the players were awesome too. I mean, like I said, I got the chance to reconnect with Aaron Rodgers through this. <clears throat> and everyone thinks they know his draft story. They don't. Everyone thinks it was, he thought he was going to the Niners until the 11th hour. The rug was pulled off from underneath him. Then he had no idea what was going on, right? That's what they want you to think. Yeah. He's like, He's like, look, I connected with McCarthy, the offensive coordinator. Me and Nolan never really hit it off. He goes, after I met with him, I didn't really think I was going there. I kind of had a feeling I was not going there. He goes, I thought I was going to Tampa. He goes, John Gruden called. Not only did he, they come to California and work me out. He goes, they br he brought Jerry Rice for me to throw to, who as a diehard Niner fan as a kid, I'm like, he's like, that went great. And he called me a few days before the draft and said, if you're there at number five, we're taking you. He's like, Cool, I'm not falling past five. They took Cadillac Williams instead. Because 
you'll find out in this book, I'm sure the GM in Tampa had final say, no matter what group wanted. Correct. So it's, or, or, it's or the owner, whatever. Yep, you know? It is fascinating. Uh, I, I found out a lot of the answers that I wanted, and I think people will too. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm friends with some of the, the, the former Bears guys, the guys who drafted Mitch Trubisky, right? Okay. And they kind of walked me through the process of why they took Trubisky and not, you know, Deshaun or Mahomes. And it's really, and sometimes you just outthink yourself, you know? I'm you just you have do. a lot of time. Yeah. And you just, you overthink it, overthink it. And their whole thing, there, there's some other stuff, but their whole thing was like, they had Jay Cutler before and they I'm had to have here. Jay Cutler, they had to have Jay Cutler dress in another locker room because the guys didn't like him. I heard that too from a guy when I was in Green Bay who was with Cutler in, in Chicago. I can confirm that as well. Right. And so when they brought in like Mitch Trubisky, I don't know how well you know him. He's like, I don't know much. Uh, and, and look, Deshaun, dudes love him, that love playing for him. And Mahomes, dudes love him, love playing for him. But Mitch Trubisky is like, oh my God, I want to have him marry my daughter. Right. And, yep. and that, there were other factors, but like that, like won them. And they made a gigantic well, mistake. You know, and obviously they lost their jobs basically because of that, even though they actually have been pretty successful here of late, just not successful enough. And they, they change quarterbacks. So it's really interesting. That, that exact scenario is why is part of the reason Alex Smith went for Aaron Rodgers, because Aaron told me, he's like, yeah, I remember reading something or hearing something that Mike Nolan really liked that Alex Smith held the door for his mom at dinner or something like that. And he's like, that's great. If that's what you're looking for. Not that I wouldn't hold the door for somebody, but again, we just, we connected apparently a little different. Yes. Yes. So, no, they're, they're, there's great stories. There's interesting stuff about medicals. There's a medical history. You got to read Benny Blades chapter, great safety from the U. I remember great, great chapter about his medical, like causing a stir uh, during his pre-draft process. Tony Mandarich, who everyone knows who everyone considers him a draft bust. But I told him when I interviewed him, I was like, hey, listen, Tony, like, I'm not here to talk about your NFL career. I'm here to talk about the pre-draft process where you're the greatest offensive line prospect of all time. Tell me about that. He has a story about a dinner after his pro day with the Kansas city chief brass that ended with an F bomb flying and him leaving before the entrees arrived. Let's just put it that way. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. So no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was saying, I think what people will learn is there's some stories too that help, I think shape how the draft is nowadays. And, one of those is Steve Largent. It wasn't the draft wasn't, wasn't back then what it is now in terms of the popularity and how big it got. But I do think Largent's story <clears throat> made scouts better because he gets drafted by the Oilers in the fourth round. But he was the Oilers' second pick. So the Oilers used their second pick on Steve Largent only to then – back then you could cut a player, but – once you deem you're going to cut the guy, you have like 24 hours to trade him first. If a team, it's kind of like via waivers, but you could trade instead. <clears throat> so they ended up trading him to the Seahawks for an eighth round pick back when there was more than seven rounds. And I just could not imagine what that scouting department was thinking and how much people have learned like, A, we just got the, one of the best receivers of all time in the fourth round using our second pick. And we trade him for an eighth rounder. Could you think about that today? A team used their second pick 
to then virtually trade him for a seventh rounder by the end of training camp. And the guy ends up being a Hall of Famer. I just think stories like Steve's forced scouts to do even more digging than they've ever done before. And got stories like that, I think, have shaped the draft. It's called Round Zero. You can pick it up. Everything that takes place before round one. Hey, let's do this again. I want more stories. Yeah. Okay. I, want, I want more stories. But I really appreciate you. I mean, this was freaking awesome. I could do it for hours. And uh, let's talk in soon. And again, let's put it on a date. Let's text. Okay, let's get a schedule. Cowboys game. I'll work November on tickets. November 13th, I'm blocked right now. I'm in. Okay. Okay. You work on tickets. I work on tickets. Okay. You have a, I, I had a relationship with Aaron. I don't know if he doesn't like me anymore. You know, Aaron kind of comes and goes, whatever. I don't have uh, get me tickets relationship with Aaron, but uh, I'll reach out to a connection I have. Yeah, I don't, actually, I don't even know. I could, I could probably get to do the Fox angle to, to get the tickets. Um, but, but a beer afterwards with Aaron in an undisclosed location. That sounds, after they beat the Cowboys, that would be amazing. Let's do it. All right, brother. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Remember to download, uh, write a review, rate, subscribe, do all that stuff. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.